You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Nehemiah chapter number one. We'll begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servants Moses, Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me, and keep my commandments, and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence, and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Amen. And let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word and I thank you for your people and their faithfulness to be here this morning. I pray now that we would take everything that we have heard and everything we've experienced in this service. And I pray now that our focus and our attention would be upon the word of God. And I pray you'd speak directly and speak very powerfully to each and every one of us. Uh, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would fill me and I pray that you would use me to say things that need to be said. Help me to say things in the right way. Help me to say them uh, in the uh, proper amount of time. And I pray that we would be helped this morning because of your word. I pray if there's anyone that's here today in this service, anyone listening to this service that does not know for sure that they're going to heaven, they've never trusted Christ as their personal Savior. I pray that before they leave today or before they go on with the events of this day, I pray that they would get this matter settled once and for all and know for sure that they're on their way to heaven. We thank you for all you've done. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. In the 
uh, book of Nehemiah, we see there was a, a need for building. Now, we see in Nehemiah that there was a wall that needed to be built. Uh, in the book of Ezra, we see there was a temple that needed to be built. And God's people had gotten distracted from building the temple. You know what they were doing instead of building the temple? They were building their own houses. They were doing their own thing. They were working on their own projects. And, and by the way, if we're not careful, sometimes we get so focused on what we want to do that we don't do what God has called us to do. And I want to tell you today that God has something for all of us to do. There, there is a job. There is a purpose. There is a, a plan that God has for each of our lives. Our theme for the year is about the church and Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. You say, well, pastor, that's nice, but we're just going to sit back. We're going to prop up our feet and we're going to let Jesus build the church because after all, he said he was going to build it. Well, you're right. He is the one that does the building. And we know that we don't build the church. Jesus builds it. And except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. But I got news for you. Jesus is building, but he's enlisted your help. He's enlisted my help. Jesus is the foreman. Jesus is the architect. But you and I are laborers together with God. God has a job for you to do. If, if not, why would God leave us here? I would say if God didn't have anything for us to do, that once we got saved, we'd be out of here. He'd take us straight to heaven. But he's left us here because he's got a purpose for us. There's some building that needs to be done. I'm glad that God is in the building business. You say, well, what kind of building are we going to build? Well, we're going to try to build some lives. We're going to try to build some homes. We're going to try to build some marriages. We're going to try to build some families. Wouldn't it be great if you could build a testimony? You say, well, I, I, I don't have a good testimony and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that overnight. No, you're not going to change it overnight. You can make a, a decision in the moment, but it's going to take day after day after day uh, that you build a testimony, that you build a reputation at the workplace. If we were to go with you to the workplace tomorrow, you've got a reputation at that workplace. And by the way, that's not anybody else's fault. But yours, if it's a good testimony, nobody else gets the credit except for you and God because that's something that you build. It's something you work at. I see in Genesis 11, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 11, verse 4, the Bible says, And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. You know what happened in the book of Genesis? They said, we want to build something because we want people to notice us. We want to build something because we want to have a name. As a matter of fact, they said this, lest we be scattered abroad. They said, we don't want people to forget about us. Well, I got news for you, friend. People are going to forget about you and they are going to forget about me, but I hope they never forget about him. I hope they never forget that this is all about Jesus and may all the glory and all the praise go to him. That's why we're building, not for a name for us, but to exalt his name. 
We sang this morning, blessed be the name of the Lord. It doesn't say blessed be the name of the pastor. It doesn't say blessed be the name of the Sunday school teacher. Blessed be the name of the choir member. Blessed be the name of that great Christian that lives over. No, no, no. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why we're here to exalt him. We see in Nehemiah chapter 2, turn over a page if you would, please. Verse 17. We're going to take a few weeks in the book of Nehemiah. But verse 17, we'll let you go home. We're not going to stay for a couple weeks. We will take a break and continue next Sunday. Verse 17, then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us. Ooh, it's not just one person. It's not just a, a solo project. It's a group effort. Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Verse 18, then I told them, of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. Oh, I can't wait till we get to this part. Can I tell you what we need to build? We need the good hand of God upon us. We need the blessing of God. We need the power of God. We need the strengthening of God. We need the skillful hand of God. But Nehemiah said, I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. We're talking about building. As we look at Nehemiah chapter 1, I want you to notice a few thoughts. I've entitled this, this message this morning, A Burden to Build. You see, Nehemiah was not a builder. Nehemiah had a different occupation. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now, I don't, know, I don't know how much you love your job, but I'll tell you this. This is a job I could get excited about because Nehemiah was more than just the one that was the server. He was more than the waiter. He was the one, are you ready for this? who got to taste test every bite of food that the king was going to put in his mouth. He got to drink everything that the king was getting ready to put to his lips. Nehemiah got to taste it first. You say, what's so good about that? Well, if you like to eat, and I like to eat, you get the job of getting to eat and drink the best food every day of your life. Can you? How many of you think you could, you could live with that getting paid to eat and drink? That would be okay. I'm not talking about, you know, you, you know, here's a few bucks. I'm talking about this was Nehemiah's job full time. Can you imagine seeing a, a, a wanted ad in the paper or online and they say, we need somebody that will eat and drink every day, only the best food, only the best steak, uh, only uh, the, 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 the best seafood, only the best of the best. Everything is gourmet. Everything is delicious. Everything is prepared by the greatest chefs on the planet. And we're going to pay you full-time salary, benefits, vacation. And that's your job to eat. That's it. Just, just eat. I'm not talking about lunch break. I'm talking about that's your job. You get to eat. 
So the, Nehemiah was not a builder. He was the king's cupbearer. I want you to notice in verse number one, it says that he was in Shushan, the palace. You talk about a cush job. You talk about a nice job. Not only do you get to eat the nicest foods, but you literally, you live in the palace. You get to rub shoulders with the king. You get to hang out with the king. Uh, some Bible scholars have said about this occupation that the king's cupbearer was literally in the king's presence most of the day. So as the king's cupbearer, every time somebody came before the king, the cupbearer would usually be there. And can you imagine when Nehemiah uh, was there and the king had a conversation with somebody and that person left and the king might say, hey, Nehemiah, what do you think about that person? I think they're crazy. What do you think? You know, yeah, king, I think you're right. You know, whatever. Can you imagine just getting the chit chat with the king all day, every day? He was in the palace. I know this, he had the best food. I know this, he had the nicest things in life, but I also know this, he was safe. If you're in with the king, can I tell you, there ain't nobody getting to you unless they get to the king first. Now, this is not my message. This is just a rabbit trail, but I'm going somewhere, so hang on. Can I tell you, you and I, we have the privilege every day of our lives to spend time with the King of kings and Lord of lords. You get to be with the king. You get to rub shoulders with the king. You get to spend time with him. You get to be in the place where you are safe because when you're walking with Jesus, that old devil's not going to touch you unless he goes through Jesus first. And I got good news for you. That old devil's no match for Jesus Christ. He tried. He tried to crucify him. He tried to bury him. He tried to seal the tomb, but he couldn't hold him down. Three days and three nights and up from the grave he arose. I'm glad we get to walk with the king. I'm glad our king is alive. I'm glad our king is powerful. But I see that Nehemiah, number one, he had a burden to build. But number one, I see the comfort of Nehemiah. He was in the palace. He was in a place of prestige. He was uh, literally rubbing shoulders with the powerful, the elite of the day. We see in verse number one, he was in the palace. In chapter one, verse 11, he says, I was the king's cupbearer. What a privilege for Nehemiah to get to serve the king. And by the way, what a privilege for us today. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you have the privilege to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't care how great your boss is. I don't care how good your boss treats you. I don't care how much you love your job. There's not a greater job. There's not a greater boss in all the world than the King of Kings who we get to serve every day of our lives. And what a privilege it is to serve him. But I see the comfort of Nehemiah. He was doing good. He had it made. He was taken care of. He was not in danger. He wasn't going to go hungry. He wasn't going to go without. He was in the presence of the king of the medial Persian Empire. But secondly, I see the concern. The Bible says in verse 2 that Hanani, one of Nehemiah's brethren, he came, came to the palace. He came to see Nehemiah. And he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them, concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity 
and concerning Jerusalem. Now, now time out before we get into this. I want you to understand the timeline that we're talking about. You know, the Bible, first of all, the Bible is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. I don't believe there are mistakes in the Bible. I don't believe there are errors in the Bible. I don't believe there are contradictions in the Bible. I believe you can trust the Bible cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. However, I want you to understand that the Bible is not written in chronological order. Okay, there are things that the, in the Bible, for instance, you've got the book of Genesis. Well, then you got the book of Job. And Job probably took place around the time frame or the era of Abraham and, and, and that cry. So as you're reading the Bible, you want to understand kind of the background and understand some of the setting. So the Jews had lived in their land, the, the nation of Israel, the land of Judah, they had lived in their land, and they had prospered. Uh, of course, Saul was the first king, and then David and Solomon, and then you have the divided kingdom. Well, the nation of Israel went into Assyrian captivity, and about 100 years later, the nation, or the, the nation of Judah went into Babylonian captivity. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, and you have Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went as captives. That all took place around 606 B.C., well, the Babylonian captivity lasted for 70 years. And at the end of those 70 years, the medial Persians conquered the Babylonians and Cyrus was the king of Persia. And Cyrus made a decree in 536 BC that said all of the Jews can go back to their land, which that sounds good. But you know what they were going back to? They were going back to a wasteland. They were going back to a war zone. They were going back to a place where there were no walls to protect them. There were no houses. The temple was not there built. They had to go back and try to rebuild. And, and that process was a very difficult process. So that was 536 B.C. that they were allowed to go back. Well, here we are in 444 B.C., the time of Nehemiah chapter 1. So about 100 years later, and Nehemiah is not back in Judah. He is still in the palace. He's in the medial Persian Empire. So obviously his family had chosen to stay there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'll get to that later. But God had Nehemiah in the right place at the right time. But Nehemiah, he sees some of his brethren. And they come back to visit him in the palace in medial Persia, in Shushan. And he asks a question. And that question changed his life. I don't think that Nehemiah was expecting the answer he got because of his reaction. I think he was actually surprised. But Nehemiah asked, he said, hey guys, how are things going back home? Maybe he asked like sometimes you ask people. You're just being friendly. Hey, how's your day going? Well, since you asked me about it, let me just tell you. How many of you know that asking questions can get you in trouble? All right, you know what I'm talking about. Now, by the way, I still think you ought to ask questions, okay? Don't say, I'm just not going to ask any questions. But asking questions can get you in trouble. Now, I said in the early service, and I'm going to say it again because I'm, I feel pretty brave because my wife is in the nursery. She's not in this service. And as long as none of you tell her about it, I, I, I'm, I'm safe, okay? But... For instance, when you walk in the door, 
uh, after work or you walk in the door after you've been gone and you've got like a, a mental checklist of things you want to get done, right? You've got projects, fellas, right? I mean, you got, you got projects. Now, those projects may be sit down and watch golf or that may be, you know, sit down and watch football or that may be sit down and do nothing, but those are projects you have, right? Yeah, you're not very brave either. You're smart is what you are. And, and so you ask your wife, you say, honey, is there anything you need me to do? Guess what? She's got stuff for you to do. And your projects, they're, they're not getting done tonight. Whether you thought they were good or not, they're not getting done. And by the way, fellas, that's a good thing to ask your wife. And all God's men and ladies said, and it is a good thing, right? We are a team. Uh, we ought to help one another. We ought to be concerned. And I know what some of you ladies are thinking. You're thinking, you shouldn't even have to ask. You should already know that I need help with this or I want this done or whatever it may be. But asking questions will get you in trouble. Asking questions will change your priorities. Asking questions will change your course and, and it will change what, what you're going to do in the days ahead. And by the way, I, I, I'm, I'm being funny about that, but I want to say this. You ought to ask questions. I think you ought to ask questions and find out the truth. I think you ought to ask questions so you can know the needs. I think you ought to ask questions so that God can use you to make a difference in somebody's life. And Nehemiah asked a question, and this question, it changed his life. Notice what he said. In verse number two, he asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah wasn't there. This had nothing to do with him. This did not affect his life. It didn't affect his salary. It didn't affect his health. It didn't affect his well-being. This was all about somebody else. But he asked the question. You know why he asked the question? Because he was concerned. And friend, I want to tell you, we need to get back to being concerned about others. We are so self-centered. We are so self-focused. Everything is about us. And can I tell you, that's a reason why many people are so frustrated because you think your problems are the only problems on the planet. Well, I got news for you. In some cases, your problems aren't actually that big. And my problems aren't actually that big. You go with me some week and we go to the hospital and we go to the nursing home and we go to the funeral home and you sit in my office and you hear about problems people have that I'm talking about are life-changing, heart-wrenching, heart-breaking problems. And all of a sudden, your problem doesn't seem so big anymore. I had a professor, Brother Dan, when we were in college, uh, Dr. Jorgensen. And I remember in one class, I don't remember what class it was, but he told me this. He said, Jeremy, he said, if you've got a problem that can be fixed with money, he said, that's really not a big problem. And I remember at the time thinking, well, but what if it's, you know, whatever. But you know, he's right. Because there are a lot of problems that can't be fixed with money. There's a lot of problems that can't be fixed just with, uh, 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 you know, snapping your fingers or doing this or doing this. There's a lot of problems that, you and I go through, and there's burdens we go through that only God, only a miracle can take care of that problem. But Nehemiah was concerned. I wonder this morning, maybe if God would speak to your heart, or maybe He is already speaking to your heart, 
When was the last time you were concerned with anybody else? When was the last time when you sat down and you got home from the end of your day and you sat down and you didn't just think about what you had to do, but you sat down and thought, I wonder what I could do for so-and-so. I wonder how so-and-so's doing. I wonder if I had to call so-and-so. Uh, as I look around this room, I see so many people that already do this. But you say, oh, man, I got I to gotta cut my grass. Well, yeah, you, you do, and it's, it's good, especially before it gets up to waist high. You know, it's a good, good idea to cut it. But maybe you say, I want to call somebody who's been sick or somebody that's been shut in, and they couldn't cut their grass if they wanted to. Maybe I could call and ask them. Say, oh, man, what am I going to cook for supper tonight? Well, and, that's, and you need to cook for supper, and you need to have something to eat, but maybe you could call somebody who's been sick, somebody that's not even able to get to the grocery store, somebody that's not even able to stand up and cook a meal if they wanted to. Um, maybe you ought to find out from that person, hey, what can I do to help you? Amen. I'll tell you this. If, if I didn't have your attention before, I hope I do now. And that wasn't planned either. But can I tell you, Nehemiah was concerned. He was concerned for somebody else. And he just, he just asked, hey, how's it going? But I see not only his comfort, not only his concern, but then I see the condition. The condition of the people. They said, verse 3, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Hannah and I said, Nehemiah, it's bad. I can't believe you didn't already know, but I can't believe you haven't heard Nehemiah. Maybe people here in Medio Persia don't talk about it. Maybe they don't want to know. Maybe they try to avoid the subject. Uh, maybe they just want to think about how good they've got it here. But Nehemiah, it's bad. The affliction is great. The problems that these people are facing back in Jerusalem, it's terrible. And then he says this, it's a reproach. He said it's so bad that it is a disgrace. It is a shame. It is an embarrassment that Jerusalem that used to be the city of God, Jerusalem that used to have the temple where God was praised and God was worshipped and the place that used to bring glory to God, it is in rubble. It is destroyed. It's a war zone. And, and Nehemiah, it is a shame and a reproach what's going on back in Jerusalem. Then he says this, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. I see the condition in Jerusalem. Nehemiah asked and he, was, he found out. He got the truth. It's bad. The condition was awful. Can I tell you the condition today, and I'm not talking about the economy. I'm not talking about gas prices. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. The spiritual condition in our nation, in our world is bad. Because it seems like sin is getting a hold. And it seems like sin is becoming more and more prevalent amongst God's people. It seems like our young people are being destroyed and our homes are being broken and we're seeing children that are experiencing heartache and heartbreak and we're seeing lives that are being destroyed because the devil is real. We see young people, I think about many in our church, many young people that are just looking for something that's real. 
Their homes are a mess and they come to church and I hope when young people come to Victory Baptist Church, I hope they realize that when they come here, they're not going to find any perfect people. Did you know we don't even allow that kind of people at our church, the perfect ones? You know what we are here? We're a bunch of sinners. We're a bunch of sinners that need Christ. We're a bunch of sinners that have been saved by the grace of God. And it's not a love works lest we should boast, but it's all so that He receives the glory. But I hope young people, when they come here, I hope they find that this is a church where people are real. Where people don't just put on the cloak of Christianity on Sunday and then live Monday through Saturday like the devil and live for the world and throw it all out the window. I hope people come and young people especially can see something that is real. You say, why are young people looking for something? Well, because there's a void. Because there's a longing in their heart. They're looking for happiness. They're looking for peace. They're looking for satisfaction. Why do you think so many turn to alcohol? Because they're looking for something. And I can tell you, they're not going to find satisfaction in alcohol. They're not going to find satisfaction in drugs. They're going to find that the problems get worse. They're going to find that the problems become intensified. Why do so many people go to immorality? Why do so many people get involved with the wickedness of this world? They're looking for something that brings peace and happiness. And I want to tell you, only Jesus brings peace. Only Jesus brings happiness. And I hope when young people come to this church, I hope they can see in the adults, the parents and the grandparents and the young adults, and the middle-aged and the senior saints, I hope they can see some people that have decided that we are going to be real in our faith. This is not a show. This is not a put-on. This is not a fad. This is not just a stage we're going through. But the Word of God is true, and if God said it, we believe it. That settles it. Case closed. We're not looking for something better. We are standing on the truth of the Word of God. The condition was bad, and they told Nehemiah how bad it was. But then I see number four. I see the compassion. When Nehemiah heard it, Verse 4, he didn't say, oh, well, hope they get something worked out. Hope they can find out a way to get that wall fixed. Here's what he said, verse 4. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah said, I couldn't, I couldn't finish the tasks of the day. He said, when I heard that, I had to sit down. Have you, ever, have you ever gotten news and you just had to sit down? It was almost like you're afraid if you didn't sit down, you, you might pass out. Nehemiah said, I was so burnt. I was so broken. He said, I had to sit down. And then he said this, and then I wept for a few seconds, a few minutes. No, he said, for days. Have you ever had something that burdens you so much, so greatly? That you went to sleep at night thinking the next morning maybe it'll be better and you woke up the next morning and you were still burdened? Maybe even that burden intensified? Nehemiah was burdened. He had compassion. He sat down. He wept. He mourned for certain days. He fasted. Well, guess what? His job was to be the king's cupbearer. That means he had to call in from work for a few days. 
That means he had to tell the king, sorry, I can't eat that food. I can't drink that today. I'm sorry, king. There's something bothering me so much that I'm going to prayer and fasting until I get an answer from God. He had compassion. I think about the good Samaritan that we read about. In the word of God, you know the story. There was a man who was beaten and he was left for dead. He was robbed. And the Bible says that there was a priest that came by and had nothing to do with the man. There was a Levite, a religious man. He came by and again, he had nothing to do with the man. But the Bible says a certain Samaritan, when he came, he saw him and he had compassion on him. That Samaritan did not have to help that man. That was not his responsibility. It wasn't his family member. It wasn't his friend. But he took responsibility. And can I tell you, if God places somebody in your path that needs, to, needs help, it's now your responsibility. It's now my responsibility to do all we can to help, to pray, to, to, to minister, to do what we can to meet those needs. I see that Nehemiah had compassion. I was thinking this week about some Nehemiahs that God has put in my life. There have been some people that I was not their assignment. I was not their project. I was probably not even their responsibility, but I've had some people in my life who went out of their way. They went above and beyond to help me. Can I tell you, I'm grateful for those Nehemiahs. Have you had some Nehemiahs in your life? Kind of shake your head if you know what I'm talking about. You got some people in your life, in your past, who helped you that maybe didn't have to. Maybe you're surprised they even did, but God sent them. I wonder who you could be a Nehemiah for. I wonder who God might speak to us this week about being a Nehemiah and getting burdened and broken to help somebody. We see that Nehemiah had a burden to build. God is in the building business. But I'm happy to tell you this morning that not only is God in the building business, but he's in the rebuilding business. You see, there had been some walls in Jerusalem, but something happened. The enemy came and tore them down. And God said, those walls need to get built again. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need some rebuilding. I want to tell you, God can help you. God wants to enable you. God wants to empower you. I'm glad God is the God of second chances. I'm glad God's the God of third chances and fourth and fifth. I'm glad that God is not only in the building business, but he's in the rebuilding business. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.